Museum of Contemporary Art presents Hot Takes, a podcast about art and activism put on by the MCI Denver Leadership Program alumni in collaboration with community creatives and activists. The MCA Denver is always free for teens under 18, and we offer a variety of leadership programming yearly, as well as offering workshops and other ways of getting involved with our community. This podcast was born from the creative minds of teens who are in our alumni program, like myself. This episode is on food justice and its intersection with the art world that both myself, Sophia, and Skylar Kasanoff, who could not be here with us. We'd like to take a moment to make an acknowledgement. We are gathered on the unceded land of the Oglala Sioux, Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples, the original stewards of this territory. We ask you to join us in acknowledging the Oglala Sioux, Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho community, their elders, both past and present, as well as future generations. The Museum of Contemporary Art also acknowledges that it was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many indigenous peoples, including those on whose land this institution is located. This acknowledgement demonstrates a commitment to beginning the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of settler colonialism. Why are land acknowledgements important, you might be asking. In a museum setting, we are often the moving force behind important conversations in society. To begin the work of unraveling the impacts of settler colonialism, a land acknowledgement opens the conversation and begins the act. It is important to dismantle the myth of the United States story and to acknowledge how the wealth of America was created through the subjugation of indigenous, black, and people of color. Land acknowledgements are a practice in truth-telling. Though important, they are not to the extent of the work any institution should be doing to dismantle the legacies of settler colonialism. So with that, we'll go around with our introductions. I'll start. My name is Sophia. I use she, they pronouns. I'm on my way to Colorado State University, and I'm an alumni of the teen programs here at MCA. And we are here with Bianca and Nettie. Thank you, you so much like for having yourselves? us here today. My name is Nettie. My pronouns are they, then theirs. And I'm the grants coordinator for the Denver Community Fridges Project. Um, we are a mutual aid group in Denver that aims to combat food insecurity and reducing food waste in the Denver metro area. Um, we operate eight community fridges in the city and are entirely volunteer run. Thank you for having us and for inviting us into being in this space. I, I've been, I started a practice in the beginning of the year and introducing myself while speaking about my ancestors. So it's going to take a little bit longer, but for me, it's very important to that as I honor my roots. So my name is Bianca Acosta. I am the great-granddaughter of Ikika and Papa Juan. I am the great-granddaughter of uh, Manuel Medina and Mirosa, Calixto and Maria, uh, Aurora and Michente. I am the granddaughter of uh, Gabriela Acosta and Abel Acosta, the granddaughter of Rito Isais and Maria Medina. I am the daughter of Manuel and Lila. So I am uh, the community outreach manager here at the Grow House. It's a nonprofit organization where we're aiming for community-led food justice. We also have a vision of creating a community where everybody has the means to nourish themselves. So our work is very broad. We do it through education and schools with youth, um, community programs, but also through our, our food boxes where people right now, since the pandemic started, uh, we have a program that evolved that is named uh, Rapid Response. So now community members and, and the global and the Swansea community can receive a, a free food box weekly and in the doorstep. But we also have food boxes that other people from other communities can come and buy. To us, uh, we aim to do also to support lo- local farmers and uh, Latinx, what is it, entrepreneurs 
to for these food boxes and create a system that is supporting everyone and 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 this journey of uh, aiming for you know creating a a world where everybody has the means to nourish themselves. I think we can jump into these questions now. Um, so first off, as you guys are activists and involved in the activism with food justice, how would you define food justice as someone who is unfamiliar with the concept? I think I'll go for it. <laughs> I think um, for me personally, in my experience, I'd like to go as simple as possible. And as I shared, uh, food justice, meaning that, you know, everyone has the means to nourish themselves and meaning obviously through food, but also on other souls, their communities, in the way that they choose to, you know. Sometimes we want to make sure that people just have access to buy food. And I think it goes a little bit beyond where people have the means to buy their food, not just getting handouts, but everybody has the means to nourish themselves in a way that that is honoring uh, who they are, uh, their backgrounds, uh, culture, cultura, all of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think Bianca actually spoke really eloquently about food justice. I think it, the one thing that I would just add to that is to highlight the notion that food justice is not the same as food equity or food equality, right? Or the, the idea that we just want to feed people. But it, it is sort of the the struggle to ensure equal access you know, to food, the ability to sell food, grow food, and nourish yourself with food. And it also interrogates the systems and structures that are set up to to marginalize and um, isolate and alienate specific communities, in particular, Black, Brown, working class communities, right? And, and it also seeks to sort of think about in a more larger scale, everything that is associated with the growing and the distribution of food, which includes land, land ownership, agriculture, workers' rights, um, you know, and so, yeah, that's just the one thing that I, I would want to add to. In response to this, the need for food justice, how would both of your, I know, Bianca, you covered this a little bit, so maybe Nettie could speak on this, but how would the mission of each of your respective organizations address this need specifically in their both like unique ways? Yeah, so just a little bit about what DCF does. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're a mutual aid project that's aimed at combating food insecurity. You know, we're very vocally and publicly a abolitionist group that works in alignment also with Black liberation and the restoration of Indigenous sovereignty. You know, we we very much talk about in our practices, kind of honor the ways in which food justice intersects with those movements as well in the broader movement. And, you know, food injustice and food insecurity is intimately linked with these other systems and structures, right, that exist and then are set up to sort of marginalize folks, and in particular, alienate folks from from some of the most basic needs. And so we often sort of talk about there is more than enough for us all, right? Um, and, and that's true. And so um, in, in the operating of our fridges, we are pretty passionate and committed to encouraging members of the community who are accessing our fridges who are the most impacted, right, and know their needs best, we we honor that. And so we do not police people on how often or how much people take. You know, we're, we're really clear about allowing autonomy in, in that process um, with regards to engaging. And so this, this means, as an abolitionist group as well, it, it means being committed to also... Um, addressing police harm in the city as it relates to um, people who are facing homelessness or houseless folks in Denver. I think I jump ahead of the game and I already give 
a bit of it. <laughs> but I think uh, the whole, I'm gonna give you the whole spiel, right? <laughs> yeah, our mission is uh, to cultivate community driven food justice through education and food access. So yeah, we offer food distribution, uh, but we also, also offer programming and educational opportunities related to growing and cooking food and wellness in general. Um, we, um, something that I really love about, or um, the way that we engage, uh, or we aim to engage with our community members is that we don't, um, we look at, at food justice as a, as a, you know, just one part of, uh, of us, of, of all the needs and, and social justice, you know, the overlapping, um, and we know that as we are talking about food justice, um, you know, ensuring that is that is food access for community members, that is um, also culturally relevant for for our neighbors, uh, is that we're also cultivating community, that and a community that is uh, rooted in well-being. So a lot of our classes um, are around, um, or adult classes are like. Um, we focus a lot too on like natural medicine and that connection to the land and, and the medicine. Um, in our schools about having that connection with, um, you know, that the kids grow knowing that, no, your tomatoes do not come from Walmart. <laughs> they start from a seed and, and this is the process and you can nourish that relationship um, with your food. Uh, no matter how how old you are you are and how that's also part of your well-being and we we also um, have um uh, this leadership program called seed to seed for youth where we explore in uh, a little bit more in depth what all, what all of those things mean and a little bit about permaculture so i think it's very broad what we do uh and if i if i were to kind of like um, choose a couple of words to define our work that we'll be talking about exploring exploring intersectionality and um, social justice and how what's the role of food justice um, in that big web of uh, social justice and also the importance of creating community and connection to uh, to food. I really love that. Um, I have so much love and respect for the Grow House and you know, the mission and values of your org. And yeah, I just want to take a moment and say thank you for, for sharing that, especially the the sort of spiritual relationship to, to food, right? I think capitalism in some ways perpetuates a, a system, right? That that others, any anything that isn't a part of the dominant structure, and that includes our our mind, bodies and spirits and our in our relationship to to nourishment, right? And so there isn't enough, I think, discussion or dialogue around um, around food and how sacred it can be. Um, so yeah, thanks Bianca for for chiming in and, and adding that piece. It's pretty powerful as it relates to this topic. So jumping to our next question from there, which is great. Specifically, since this podcast, Hot Takes, is about the intersection between art and activism, I wanted to ask you guys, how do art or creativity, maybe to widen up the question, how do they work together to make a difference in your activism as it comes out in reaching out to others? And how do you guys work it into both of your 
organizations respectively. I can go first. Um, so I'm not sure if, if, if folks around this call have seen any of our fridges in the city, but um, each one is is hand painted and designed by a local community artist. Um, and, you know, one of the ways in which we have built partnerships in the city has been through through that relationship, right? Um, I mentioned at the beginning in our introduction that our that our organization is it's a grassroots org. It's entirely volunteer run currently. A lot of us are either full time students or we work full time. Um, you know, we have nine to five jobs and fridges is our five to nine job. Um, and currently within that structure, the only folks that are paid are our artists. And we really believe in the power of compensating folk um, in the community uh, who are doing this work. Um, and so we're really proud about, about that note. Um, and I mean, one day, obviously, right, we would like to be able to fund the ability to have an office and the ability to pay other people on the staff. But, but right now the artists and in, in our, in our relationship to them remain a huge priority when it comes to um, compensating folks for the work that they do. Um, and so, yeah, our, our fridges are, are beautiful. Um, you know, they are handcrafted, they are made with love. Um, and they also feature a variety of different um, artistic styles and represent a variety of different de demographics of folks. And so I know as an organization, we often talk about what happens when, you know, we get caught up in the legal, you know, the administrative aspect of running an organization and, and how that might impact, you know, folks who maybe are artists who have varying different needs, whether they're on unemployment or whether, you know, X, Y, Z things. And so we're constantly or regularly checking in about how do we continue to nurture this relationship while also not, um, um, for lack of better words, having to kind of deal with the red tape that comes with, um, you know, the financial structure of an organization. Um, but yeah, and so a, a number of our fridges are in the, um, you know, Five Points, Glowville, Rhino area, which is a thriving arts community. Um, and so in some ways, like, we're excited to be contributing to, to sort of um, that um, as well. And, and because our fridges are often adorned with such beautiful artwork, people are interested in the fridge, right? They want to know why it's there, who painted it, um, who's, who's running it, who, who it's for. And so um, we went from having, you know, opening uh, our first fridge at Muni Info Cafe in December, and we're heading into June with, you know, eight fridges deep. And so it's an exciting um, experience in, in, in project. And um, through the artwork, actually, it has facilitated larger conversations with community engagement around people who want to know about it and want to contribute and artists want to paint a fridge, right? Like we're, we're in, we're meeting folks who want to, who want to support the project in those ways. And, and I think that's all really cool. It's all really, really cool. And I feel very inspired by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, for me, I feel that a lot of the, I don't know what is it like identity of the girl house um, started to really be born in the um, in the building, 
a lot of um, the building itself and the art around it was very intentional in a way that could really represent, I wouldn't say the work, but the community, you know, to send in a message that um, as people were driving by, they'll be like, oh, that looks like a place that it's for me or the youth or, or, or schools. So I, I don't have much of a background about the artists who did that artwork. I can only speak from, from those lenses of how intentional, intentional you are with the art and how you are kind of bringing it into your work can really uh, bring an impact into the communities that you're serving. Um, the other thing that I would say in our work, in our um, youth program, Seed to Seed, is art is a... Um, Activism, I will even say, it's a it's a big part of uh, of this program, on having opportunities for students to to uh, to explore uh, art and activism and how to use art as a as a vehicle to send a a message in a in a creative way, and I think we do that. Um, in our programming, uh, in different ways, you know, like I said, we work with the little tiny bees in the garden. That's our program for little ones and uh, all the way to our, um, you know, community members who might be elderly. And we, I think this is one of my favorite parts of of, of the work that you can be creative and, and not being like, oh, but it's food justice. So why should we be talking about art? It's like, no, even food itself is art. That's the message we also want to send. Like uh, when you come and your uh, or little ones are cooking with us, like that's an art. How do you arrange your uh, your little snack with uh, your little fruit snack? That's an art. And also, you want to come and do a mural with us. You want to come. I'm looking back because we have a lot of artwork from our C2C students around. That's all of that is welcome. So. Also, the ability to grow something yourself, right, is also art. Um, so much of that is an artistic process. And yeah, thank you for sharing that angle because um, I agree. And, and I think, uh, Nelly, you, you, you have mentioned before about decolonization. You know, I think this is also uh, a part of the decolonizing art and what it should be in um, anything and everything is an art, you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, you, like food justice is deep, right? Like any kind of justice is deep. That's why we call it food justice or disability justice versus disability rights, right? Or reproductive justice versus reproductive rights. And so I think, yeah, that's a that's a spot on um, idea, Bianca, that you noticed. And maybe it is the Palo Santo, but. You know, there is some um, some depth in that. But one other thing I will say um, about the, the intersections between food justice and art is that um, at least for the food, uh, for the Fridges Project, we're able to amplify local artists who are often LGBTQ identified or maybe they're folks who have faced faced like food insecurity at one point in their lives or have been unhoused or, you know, um, they're 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 artists who also face marginalization in some shape or form. And we know that we live in an industry or in a system that only amplifies and centers particular voices. And so um, we also take a lot of joy in being able to amplify the community who's out there and doing really great work. So much insight I'm gathering from you guys. This is so cool. Taking away a little bit from the artistic element, 
Um, seeing this recent events of the past year or so, I know have not existed in a void separate of your guys' organizations, um, specifically that of COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter protest and a whole array of things that went on during the year of 2020. How have these uh, events inspired your projects or made you reflect and consider a new way to expand your projects or created a greater need for mutual aid in how have they created a greater need for mutual aid and the communities that your organizations uh, interact with? I think for us, I came, I came into the Grow House last year in the middle of a pandemic in a time where the Grow House was going through huge transition. We uh, not being able to be in, in our building and in, in the building inside the building. Um, and um, something that I, it was a huge reminder for me to come during that time where so much was happening, you know, like in the world in general. <clears throat> and um, working with uh, the community outreach team, the education team, our community outreach team is made out of um, a group of um, women from the community, senoras, you know, um, and um, mm, it was for me a great reminder reminder about what um, resiliency and love look in action. Like this, our team was uh, was able, like in the midst of everything, to be like, what do we need? Uh, not focus on what we were lacking at the moment, but I said, like, what does our, what do we need to be okay, and what does our community need right now, and start to take action, and and that's where. Our program, we had a program named Cosechando Salud where community members could come, do some Zumba, uh, take a class, and then chefs from the city will volunteer to cook uh, rescue food along community members, and then everybody will have lunch together. So that was one of my favorite programs. So after the pandemic and having our building, uh, that program had evolved, and we, there was so much unknown. Uh, and our team members just jump in and then that's where rapid response program was born. So we were able to identify that um, we were now going to have, um, I don't know, connection with our community members uh, in the same way as we had, but that this was an opportunity to uh, respond uh, in a way that uh, ensuring that their needs are being met and that they are feeling uh, seen and supported through this time um, through the work that we do. So that's where our program evolved. Now we're able to deliver, um, I think it's over 400 food boxes a week uh, for our community members. Um, and this, this um, continues to evolve because now we said, okay, so uh, we're gonna be doing this program, ensuring that um, or neighbors are getting this part of uh, this part met, which is getting put in their in their doorstep. But uh, how can we ensure that all of our products um, that we're also like uh, supporting local farmers, that we are supporting um, other community members to have uh, a job because a lot of our community members lost their jobs. Um, so we were able to 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 act in, in a way with, uh, with love and compassion and really thinking about 
first of ourselves and then our, our community members and um, having that reflected and, and how we were engaging with them in our programming during that time. So it was a fantastic time. And I, I don't, I can think of any other one because it was like crazy, but it was fantastic to see like what humans do in the midst of, uh, of, of a need, right? Like we, um, by, we humans by nature, we love to help each other, right? Uh, and somewhere along the way, um, well, I like to believe that, that all of us, we're here, we, we, we like to, to be part of the change in our communities. And in the midst of something like that, that we're able to actually somehow amplify the part of ourselves that is able to show up in the best ways for, for community members. So that, that was really beautiful for me to witness and very challenging. Yeah, I think um, for DCF, uh, the project actually came out of the pandemic. It was, um, you know, thought of our, our founder, Eli Zane, graduate student at CU Denver, um, sort of made some observations about uh, issues around food access and food insecurity um, as they're fairly new to the city and also just sort of um, being able to observe kind of what the impacts of the pandemic were on 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 folks in the city right in particular um, our unhoused neighbors and friends um, and other folks facing food insecurity and so um, in in some ways it was sort of situated within the pandemic and as a response one you know one possible response is to uh, being able to address a need in the city um, as a result of COVID. Um, we also witnessed, right, a social pandemic, um, if that some folk refer to it as, right, um, the um, the reemergence of, of Black Lives Matter um, after George Floyd, even though BLM, right, has been a movement since 2012 about, um, it kind of gained momentum and traction in 2020 in a way that I think was unexpected for a lot of folk. And so um, as DCF kind of um, emerged and, and launched, uh, it was also very publicly and staunchly um, abolitionist, um, mutual aid, grassroots run, um, and in alignment with um, the movement um, for Black lives, and in particular also Indigenous sovereignty. And um, part of why I think that's interesting and, and very and like important to note is that People like DCF because they think of it as a community service, right? Like almost akin to showing up on a thing on Thanksgiving to a local church and feeding feeding people, right? Which which we know to be as a community service thing that people do, and often a thing that helps sort of quench or 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 fill someone's guilt cup or or this sort of like right desire to like want to do something good for the community right and so there have been there has been this perception that DCF maybe is is a community service organization right um and so um it has been very publicly it's like all on, on our home page on the front page of our website, right, it makes it very clear that DCF is a abolitionist mutual aid organization in alignment with Black Lives Matter and Indigenous sovereignty. Um, and we do that intentionally because we want folks to know, right, that um, 
that we do not believe in policing and we do not believe in, um, you know, X, Y, Z things. And we, we, we try to exist outside of the confines of, of the systems and structures that have created this problem in the first place. Um, you know what I mean? And so we work with mutual aid organizations. We work with food banks, you know, um, we work with corporations and, and, and restaurants who want to, who want to donate to us. And, and we try to maintain very publicly that stance. And sometimes people are like, you know, they want to walk away because they're like, oh, we didn't know, you know, and sometimes on the Instagram, people are like, why do you got to say that you're abolitionist? Why can't you just, you know, feed people? And it's like, well, this is why, actually, this conversation is why, right? Because it's not just about feeding people, but it's about food justice and and everything that comes with, you know, that movement. And so I'm rambling now, but um, that's a little bit about kind of how DCF um, got started, you know, within the pandemic and, and its impacts on on our philosophy and values. I, I love that. I love that um, that you brought that up because a big, a big kind of like a resistance towards um, nonprofits and uh, especially who work in our communities has been that, you know, like if it's rooted in an intention to um, actually for liberation, for, for, for justice, um, and not just to be something pretty that has pretty pictures about, oh, we're doing this really cute thing with this community. We're the good ones, but this is this is deeper. And I always bring up um, the importance of intention. And, you know, always continue checking our intentions. Like, why why am I doing this? Like, what is my intention of me actually becoming part of this work? Uh, how does that? How is that? Um, I don't know. In some way, um, helping society to move towards uh, a most just society towards um, preparations, towards um, a more beautiful world, you know? So it's something that I I love that, that you mentioned that that is way more than that. Um, so again, I'm pretty new into the girl house and uh, I came in a very uh, crazy, crazy time, but those are questions that I'm constantly bringing up for myself, but also for our teams. Like, what is our intention? Like, why? What is it? Where do we need to do reparations? Where do we need to do to be more clear in the ways that we're showing up with our community members? So thank you, Nettie. I love that. Yeah, likewise. This has been a great conversation so far. So thanks. Thanks again for you to you all for for inviting us. Thank you for coming. It's so good. We have a few questions to go, though. So with all of this in mind, uh, coming towards the end of this episode here, how can people in the community and our listeners specifically through the Museum of Contemporary Art specifically help and get involved in food justice, not only as a form of activism, but also as art, as we mentioned in the lens? How can our listeners specifically help and get involved in food justice, both as its forms of activism and art? It's coming up and I got to say it. I think uh, my invitation to to our listeners today is to to really uh, go to the uh, start learning and connecting into the root of of, of all of these problems um, issues that were I, I don't I don't know I don't I can think of a right word you can cut this up but like all of these um, you know 
aspects and, and complex social justice and starting to explore white supremacy culture, starting to explore, um, you know, colonialism and how that looks that into action, uh, is starting to explore, um, <sighs> you know, like, um, many of the things that come to the root before just jumping in because you want to do something. Check your intention. Learn about yourself. Learn about the root of those of all those um, problems and, and how those were created in the first place and how we got here. And then uh, do it in a way that that is honoring um, the communities who have been um, historically marginalized and underrepresented. Um, Mm, so I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's just coming up really strongly for me. So that would be my invitation before even saying like, oh, getting more involved in something like what do I need to do and my own healing and my own learning and my own own learning and understanding for me to uh, to be to become uh, an advocate or to be part of um, of the changes that that I want to see. That's so powerful to sort of just, people don't think about that, right? Like oftentimes, like when we want to volunteer, we want to sign up for something. It's like, like um, sometimes we just operate on a, in a mile a minute, you know, and I, and I love that, that invitation to pause, you know, and to kind of check in with yourself about your intentions and your needs and all of that. I, uh, I'm, I feel so inspired by, by you, Bianca, in this conversation today and, um, I'll just add to that and say that, um, you know, DCF is an entirely volunteer run organization. And so our, we have a staff of 14 and a volunteer crew of 40. Um, so there's a massive amount of people that are working on this project. Um, and, you know, folks who are interested in, in digging in um, to food justice or, or with the fridge project, you know, I, I invite you as well to um, to consider working with us or to consider volunteering with us. And I actually think it would be really cool if um, maybe the teen program from the MCA like folk, like if if you all ever wanted to paint a fridge or you know what I mean? Like I, I see their like really cool potential partnership there. Um, you know, I think em empowering youth is so important and having a youth painted fridge in the city would just be awesome. Oh um, and so I invite <laughs> artists who may also be listening on this call today to, to consider that. Um, and, um, yeah, let's work together and we can always use more hands, right? Cause this is a movement and it takes many, many hands to, um, to operate eight fridges soon to be hopefully 10, who knows, but so everything from, you know, um, we do things like we work with Joyce kitchen, for example, and, um, in exchange for volunteering our time, we're able to, um, take food for our fridges. And so very little of our act of the actual food that gets stocked in our fridges are paid for by the actual organization. Um, almost all of the food that we stock our fridges with are, are, are donated um, by volunteers, um, by the community, by organizations, um, food distribution organizations, mutual aid organizations. Um, and oftentimes there's a, a bit of a mutual service there, right? Um, 
we we spend time um you know volunteering and and helping in exchange for being able to stock our fridges and i think that's a really a beautiful exchange that many of us um can can engage more more in and so yeah or even if you're on the if you're listening to this call and you're already a volunteer for the food bank or for you know any any kind of food related org um i invite you to to consider contacting us follow us on instagram at the very least because we're pretty cool on instagram and we've got a really awesome social media team and and who are also artists by the way so everything that is on our website and on our social media account is produced by the hands of of the artists on our team so much love to them as well all right and for my final question here i got what do you guys uh hope to see in the future for food justice both in art and activism specifically here locally in the denver metro area these communities but also on a wider scale as like the message of food justice spreads through communication like instances like these i think this is gonna sound very ambitious but i i hope to see in the future that um um you know uh a world where we don't have to talk about food justice because i think when it comes to food that's like the minimum that all people should have access to uh, i i call it in a world where um you know or black uh, indigenous and people of color, marginalized communities have uh, food sovereignty and, and um, the land is, is back to those who honor it. That um, we are, as a society, we are able to remember that uh, our Mother Earth is abundant, that she feeds us, that we are able to reclaim our, our connection to our food your ancestry to the land and to each other. So that's my hope. I know it's, it's, it's ambitious, but I'm not I'm not backing down from that. And I hope and I know that I I gonna I gonna be part of that and whatever I choose in my path as as for my work. I'm not gonna add to that because that was a really powerful um also cut this part out, but um I just think that's a that's a really powerful thing to end with and I just just to say, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's ambitious, but it is possible um, because there is indeed enough for us all um, in the city and on this planet. Un mundo más bello es posible. A more beautiful world is possible. That's what I always think. I wake up in the morning and it's like, yes, especially when things get shitty. Oh, sorry. <laughs> guys, thank you so much. I can't express my appreciation for you guys to take time out of your busy schedules to come and have such an insightful and just amazing conversation thank you guys so much